Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Michael Swain here after Kansas fell to Kansas State in the Sunflower Showdown 38 to 10. And that game was among so many things, um, you know, disappointing, uh, a, f- a kind of a flat performance from KU's perspective, um, really not even a competitive game. I think the scoreline, if anything, is maybe a little bit flattering to KU just considering how good Kansas State looked and and vice versa, how bad Kansas looked through stretches on both offense and defense. This was definitely a game where you can't point the finger at the offense or the defense. Um, This was a game where KU was dominated at the line of scrimmage. Um, And I think dominated may even putting it lightly. Uh, Kansas State just asserted its dominance from the start of the game offensively uh, for KU after two really solid games against Texas and Texas Tech. The offense fell flat uh, this afternoon. Uh, There's a lot to break down, but I kind of want to start with this one point. I I saw some people on Twitter referencing this game is the same old, same old for KU. I would encourage fans to not think about it like that, um, but think about it. In, in this way. Yes, KU got blown up by Kansas State. And yes, it feels like that same old feeling of inferior, um, uh, of not feeling like you're competitive. But if you look at the rest of this season, and especially since Brent Deerman took over, and yes, you you had that outburst of offense against Texas, against a Texas defense that is uh, was really banged up and was a historically bad Texas defense. And yes, you went and... Uh, performed really good against a Texas Tech defense that uh, was a middle of the Big 12 kind of defense, nothing super special, but not like a Texas defense that was really struggling. Um, There are positive steps that you can take from what this program has made this season in terms of competitive football. Yes, this singular result was a blowout and it was not competitive and it did not feel competitive, but that does not mean that this is the same Kansas team that we've seen in years past. I think you can point to the talent level on the team. You, you look at the guys on the offensive end, uh, you know, who you have. Andrew Parchment uh, would play at a lot of other Big 12 teams. You know, Dalen Charlotte would play at a lot of other Big 12 teams. So it's Von Robinson. A lot of Big 12 teams would love to have Puka Williams as well. You know, there are pieces on this Kansas team that plenty of other Big 12 teams would love to have. And I think talent-wise, KU has a lot of the skill players to compete at the Big 12. But I think what was really obvious today, that the line of scrimmage is the biggest is where the biggest talent gap is for this KU team. I think it was shown, you know, it was shown uh, specifically early on in the year, um, even against like a Coastal Carolina team that shut down KU's rushing attack um, at the line of scrimmage, you know, but that is the area I think that you can say, hey, you know, the, the front seven and the front five are definitely, you know, uh, behind maybe where the wide receiver group is at or where the running back group is at. But that's something that can change at time. You know, you look at this last recruiting class and yes, you know, it, it 
counting on freshmen is not something you want to do. We've seen that with Gavin Potter. You know, he has developed, but you do not want to be counting on him in games like this. You know, you wouldn't necessarily expect a freshman offensive lineman to play in a game like this. But in this last recruiting class, K didn't take an offensive lineman. They've got some more in this class. So there are reinforcements coming in years, you know, down the road. It just for this season specifically, you know, the, the line of scrimmage has definitely been an area where KU struggled, and that was very apparent against Kansas State. Um, I will admit, I did think Kansas. I wasn't overly confident in the Kansas is going to win pick. I definitely thought Kansas was going to cover the five point spread. Uh, I felt like for KU offensively, they were going to be able to have the opportunity to hit some home runs in the run game. But I, I think what was pretty clear was that, that that front four from Kansas State is pretty darn good. You know, it, their defensive ends were really good. Um, his name escapes me now, but uh, the strong side defensive end, I think it's like number 56. Yeah, that's it. White Huber. I thought he was really good today. It disrupted a lot of things. And I think Kansas State... I maybe underestimated their defensive line and how good they are. You, you knew the offensive line was good and that they were going to give the Kansas defense you know, a lot of trouble, but definitely not to the degree that it was. Um, so diving into maybe a little bit just specifically of the defensive performance, um, Kansas State felt like they could get anything they wanted at any point on the ground. Um, something that I noticed watching their offensive line work was that in comparison to KU's offensive line, that is, um, that when you watch KU's offensive line and you watch them run, it feels like Puka Williams breaks through that offensive line really quick and is usually getting in that second level um, without offensive linemen there. But I think what you saw today was that, you know, the first time you see the running back break through the offensive line was uh, more you know, down the field, like three, four yards down the field instead of where KU's offensive line is not really able to get that push. And Puka Williams has to burst through to the secondary himself. You know, Kansas State's offensive line did a really good job of getting to that second level. And I thought that KU's linebackers just were not up to the task today. Um, Kyron Johnson had a really rough game. We didn't see a whole lot of him in the second half. Uh, and Gavin Potter, you know, struggled too. Uh, just a lot of missed tackles from my recognition. Uh, from Potter, from Jay Deneen, from Kyron Johnson. You know, yes, Gavin Potter and Jay Deneen are two young players, but there's something to be said for, you know, being in the wrong spot and missing tackles and having your hands on guys and not being able to bring them down. Especially in the first half, that felt like that was an area where KU definitely struggled was in the tackling game. Um, I, I remember right now a couple plays where, you know, Potter got his hands on uh, Skylar Thompson and, you know, uh, and Kyron was able to get there to make a play, but wasn't able to finish it off. I did feel like on the back end, though, that KU secondary did a pretty good job in coverage, um, especially in those downs, those passing downs that you saw K-State get into a little bit in the first half, but definitely not in the second half. Um, and then once, you know, K-State's rushing attack got going, they were able to get some bootlegs. Um, some play action misdirection stuff that was able to get the Kansas defense shifting one way just to try and stop the run before they were able to pull it around and go to the opposite side. So I, for Kansas State, it was a really impressive offensive performance in my eyes. Um, you know, you think about the penalties and the, the impact that had on the game for Kansas State specifically. Um, 
you know, there were a lot of times where penalties ended up setting them back in drives and it would end up, you know, it, it hurt them in, in, uh, especially early in the first half when KU was able to get back-to-back stops, you know, that was penalties, you know, and Kansas state finished with 11 penalties for 113 yards. So imagine if Kansas state didn't have negative 113 yards and penalties, you know, what does this game look like in that case? So, I think that is a part of the reason why I feel like this score does not necessarily reflect the performance on both ends um, because KU was really not good on defense, but K-State definitely shot themselves in the foot on, on several occasions. And in terms of time of possession, I mean, they Kansas State did what going into the game you, you expected them to do. Um, they held the ball and they held it for 38 minutes of game time. Like that's just a ridiculous amount of time. Um, to have the ball. And I think that Puka Williams really did put it, put it best after the game when he said that, you know, KU basically got two possessions per quarter and that when they were out there on the field, you know, they felt like they were pushing and that, that they had to hurry to try and make, you know, make up the ground and to make up for lost time that they weren't able to get. And this is something that, you know, Andrew Parchman talked about leading up to the game was that against uh, Texas Tech, KU was able to get back in that game in part because Texas Tech ran an up-tempo offense and they wanted to push the pace and that got in KU's favor. It allowed them to get back in the game after being down 17 nothing. You know, but that's not going to happen against Kansas State. And when you, you know, in turn spot them, you know, 17 to 3, it's going to be hard to get out of that hole, especially when, you know, Kansas State scores first um after you get the ball because you know, KU receives the opening kick, they go three and out. Um, Kansas State comes down, scores. All of a sudden, KU's down. They go get a field goal, and then K-State gets possession. Um, so KU was def- was just playing from behind, and that was not going to suit them in this game. Um, that was something I put in the VIP thread uh, prior to the game, was that it felt like if KU was able to score first and then get a stop and get the ball back with the opportunity to go up two scores, that that would be a really favorable position for them for the remainder of the game because it would allow them to play their sort of game where they can use downhill runs. And then once K-State loaded up the box, they could hit them with RPOs and some of the quick hitting routes. But what you saw was that you know KU got stuffed in the run and they had to go a little bit more to the passes. And that's when uh, K-State did a really good job of disguising their coverages. This is something that I put out on Twitter. Um, I had the all 22 of both interceptions and the second interception was just an incredible play from the Kansas state weak side linebacker. Um, something that the defensive coordinator said going into the game was that they weren't going to give KU a lot of looks pre-snap because that's something that Carter Stanley has talked about in this RPO offense is that there's a pre-snap read and a post-snap read on most plays. So if there's no pre-snap read or the pre-snap read is deceiving you and you see something before the ball snapped and then when the ball snapped, it's not what you saw, that can script some of the keys. And I think you saw that, especially on that second interception where they ran basically a hard cover flat on um, on the flat and basically had, as soon as the ball was snapped, the weak side linebacker just had dead sprinted over to the over to the far sideline from the press box. It would have been the far sideline on the TV screen as well for, for those that were watching on TV. Um, and then he just gets there and squats and the ball's already in the air um, because as we've seen, KU likes to run a lot of those, you know, the hitch routes um, or, or the curl routes, whatever you want to call it, where you run X distance and then just turn around. That's what Dalen Charlotte was trying to do. And they just undercut it. And those are the sort of things that I think you may see now that we have two and now three games on film of Brent Dearman's offense is people trying to 
to to tweak what they do on the defensive side of the ball now that they've seen what KU likes to do. Of course, now Brent Dearman will have the opportunity to counteract that and see what defenses are doing against them and find ways to draw uh, new plays. But for this specific game, K-State did a darn good job of disguising their coverages. And I, I think on top of that, K-State runs a lot of zone uh, on the defensive end, and they do a lot of Tampa 2, which is a, a too high safety with the middle linebacker really sitting deep in the middle of the field. Well, what you saw today was a little bit more of matchup. It felt like a matchup zone almost where you've got guys lining up like they're in man-to-man coverage, but as soon as the ball snapped, they just dart back 15 yards. And that kept everything in front of them so that Key was not able to get those, those deep routes that we saw against Texas Tech where literally it felt like the Texas Tech defense just let Stephon Robinson run past them a couple times um, and Key was able to beat them through the air that way. Whereas today, K-State basically said, hey, you're not beating us through the air in more than 15-yard increments. Um, And with that single high safety that they had and uh, playing a lot of the off coverages that kept everything in front of them, they were able to crowd on the ball, get some pass breakups. Um, So I think that for the offense, for KU going forward, there, of course, you know, are going to be tweaks to what Brent Dearman does, but it'll be really interesting to see coming out of the bye week now against Oklahoma State with 13 days of prep, more or less, what KU does offensively to get back on track. Um, because the the 4.7 yards per play that KU had, um, gaining 241 yards on 51 uh, plays, it was the lowest they've had under Brent Dearman. Um, so, I mean, you didn't need me to tell you that. This was the worst offensive performance Brent Dearman's had. I mean, it's the you know, previous two weeks, you put up 500 yards and you put up half that this week. Um, of course, that's going to be the worst offensive performance, even if you didn't run as many plays as you have in weeks past. Um, but overall, I would not press the eject button or the panic button on this season. I think there are still positive things you can take going forward for KU, despite the disappointing result. Um, especially going towards the end of the season. I know the players have talked about trying to make a bowl game. That was always going to be a very tough goal to get. And if they did get that, that would have been a hands down a plus season from Les miles. He would have had to coach his butt off. K would have had to have zero injuries. And what you saw today was just KU's pretty darn banged up. You know, you're out without Jeremiah McCullough. You're without Drew Prox. You're without Corion Harris, who went down early on in the game. So you've already got some of your big players missing. And now you've got to rely on some younger talent, which of course is not going to work out as well against a veteran team like Kansas State, where on their defense, for example, most of the guys are upperclassmen. And on the offensive line, those guys are developed and most of them are redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors. So, you know, it's just a really physical, mature Kansas State team against a young up and coming Kansas team. Um, I don't think this will be one of those things where we say, um, oh, next year they, you know, KU is going to beat K-State, but it would not surprise me within the next three or four years if KU was able to beat K-State or at least have, you know, several competitive games in a row where it's not a competitive game blowout, competitive game blowout, um, like it's been the past couple of years. Last year was competitive game. The year before that was a blowout and this year is a blowout. So Going forward, I think there are encouraging things for this KU team, especially just with how young they are and that these guys like Gavin Potter are getting these reps early on in their career um, because that will help them going down the road. But that's going to do it for the Fog.net podcast today. As always, you can find all sorts of great KU football and KU basketball content on Fog.net. 
Champions Classic is this Tuesday. Scott's flying out there, so he'll be in New York. I'll be holding down the fort here in Lawrence for the time being. Um, and of course, we've got some really good football content coming from you after the game. I wrote about the offensive performance. Andrew Parchment said um, that KU got their butt beat, um, and he did not. He used the PG-13 version of butt, um, but I think that was pretty true. And uh, Andrew Parchment is never someone that's going to uh, hide how he feels. He's always been very outspoken about how he feels about what he wants to see happen. Um, so I wrote about him, the offense, where they kind of go from here. Scott focused on Carter Stanley, um, his two interceptions, kind of what went wrong there. Um, and of course, going through this week, we'll have some uh, good midweek stories for you. And of course, basketball season is always a fun time for content. So as always, you can follow me on Twitter at mswain97. And you can follow Scott Chasen on Twitter at Chasen Scott. And with that said, we'll talk to you after the Champions Classic game on Tuesday.